It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Hey guys, it's your host, Brian Preston. You can go check us out, money-guy.com if you want to go get our show notes. You can also connect with us all the different social media ways, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, I mean, we, we're now on all Google kind of Plus, Google LinkedIn, Plus, YouTube. Yeah, I mean, you could name them all. And then audio-wise, we're on Stitcher, of course, iTunes. iTunes has kind of been our, our backbone for a number of years. And then iHeartRadio, we're making some progress, and we got some other things we're working on that will keep you keep you in the loop. Um, Bo, we did the Warren Buffett show. Mm-hmm. That it was show a good was, one. It was good, but it was long, yes. really long. So I want to kind of switch things up today. And we're going to go with the five ways to a happier financial life. This was a, a piece that was that was published by Jonathan Clements on February seventh, twenty fifteen, and it was actually the last issue of the Sunday pages of the Wall Street Journal. Like he does a personal journal page, and this was kind of like his last hurrah for that Sunday edition. Don't worry, Jonathan Clements, because I'm a big fan myself. He still publishes for the Wall Street Journal. He also has a book. But what's what's the name of his book? I'm, I'm looking up. It's, it's escaping me right now. I'm coming up with it. Okay. Well, we'll jump in with, with, with the name of that because I have a Jonathan Clements story. And it, it ties beautifully into the podcast here. And that's probably why I chose this article. It's somewhat self-serving in the fact that I, I like Jonathan Clements. I like how he writes. We have a lot in common with our, our outlook on financial decisions. And what he probably doesn't realize, and I'll make sure we send him an email and, and a link and probably even a premium membership, because we offer premium memberships to financial journalists if you ever are interested. Just give us a, a, a shout out and um, we'll hook you up with that. But here's the thing about Jonathan is that um, I got to go see, as a lot of you know, if you've been listening to the show, I'm a big Clark Howard fan. And Clark Howard is a personal finance specialist here in Georgia and Atlanta, but he's also, he's got, his radio show goes predominantly in the Southeast, but Clark Howard's a pretty popular personal finance expert. Well, he's here in Georgia, and I happen to have a professional relationship that worked with Clark, and he knew I was a big fan of Clark Howard, so he invited me to come to the studio and watch Clark record his his radio show. Right. So I went that day. was really excited. This is all before the podcast, by the way. This is circa 2005. Okay. Um, went and watched it. It was very exciting to watch how Clark worked with his producers. He stood the whole time. Um, real informal. I also thought it was really cool that they don't f- actually record it live. It was, he would, he would say, like, it's top of the hour. And even though it wouldn't be the top of the hour, he knew where they were in the time so that when they played it, it would work out. And did you know that the whole time or did it kind of freak you out every time he said top of the hour? And well, you I mean, look at your clock? It, it still bothered me. Because, but he said it really freaks people out when he's driving home while his show's <laughs> on air and people would look over and see him in the car next to him while he's supposedly doing a live show and he's sitting there in the car and he says people look at him weird. But super nice guy. He's the real deal. Um, I think he lives the life that he says. Now, I don't, I'm not, he probably has the same situation I have. I don't think his wife subscribes <laughs> to all the same tenants that he does, but, but Clark's a really nice guy. And what was interesting that day, it, it was two things. His mother and sister showed up just by coincidence the same day. So he gave them a tour of the TV studio and he's such a nice guy. He said to me and the guy I was with, who's a professional relationship of his, he said, do y'all want to come too? I mean, he didn't have to do that. Right. Think about that. I mean, we're two nobodies, and he's got his mother and sister 
And he says, why don't y'all come too? That's awesome. So, I, I mean, I was like, yeah. So the other thing that really impressed me that day was he got a call from a caller asking how much you should save for retirement. I'll never forget the person said, Clark, how much should I be saving for retirement? I've always heard that I should be saving 10%. Well, nerdy Brian Preston had a, a professional folder there just with some articles I usually use in prospect meetings and other things. And I heard that question. I was like, well, I, I, I know the answer to that question. So there was an article from Jonathan Clements talking about how we were, because of Social Security and the concerns and, and everything else, that 10% was not the rule of thumb that a lot of people should use anymore. There was now, we were in a new period of time where you need to be saving 15 to 20%. And it was all in this piece that Jonathan Clements did in personal finance, the personal finance section of the Wall Street Journal. So I handed it to the producer. And the producer looked at it and, and smiled and gave me a thumbs up because remember, you can't talk because Clark's talking. And then he handed it up to Clark. Clark read the piece. He referenced Jonathan Clements. And then I was like, fireworks were going off internally. And that's probably what was the catalyst to realizing, I really like this. I could do this. And it probably wasn't six months later that that's where the podcast came from. We started doing the show January 2006. I got to do that in 2005, and that's about the time that pot, the, the iPod came yep. out, and hence, here we are. So, Seinfeldish, Yeah, love it. Bring it full circle. I'm doing a Jonathan Clements piece, but I'm on the Money Guy show, which is my show, which is kind of cool. So, I gave a shout-out to Clark Howard, as well as to Jonathan Clements, and we'll, we'll do a reach-out, because we, you know, FinCon, we got to meet the producer for, yeah, um, yep. with Clark now, and, and he'll like, Joel will like that, so... Five ways to a happier financial life. Let's go over these. I thought this was interesting because I, I I told you guys, and I know a lot of you listen to this show while you're commuting. I mean, it's perfect. That's why we try to make it a 25 to 35-minute show is because that's the commute of a lot of people is 25 to 30 minutes. Well, the first thing Jonathan talks about is biggest time waster, commuting. Now, this is the five ways to a happier financial life, and one of the top five is a is, has to do with commuting. And, and, I, and let me read the part he says because I think it, it's worth sharing. It says, "I don't look about my look back at my career with many regrets except commuting. New Jersey Transit, the commuter rail system that runs trains into New York City, stole countless hours that I would love to have back. I've come to view the classic trade-off accepting a long commute as the price of a big house in the burbs is a pact with the devil." Indeed, research suggests that commuting is a terror is terrible for happiness. One example, a study in Sweden found that a long commute increases the risk that a couple will separate by forty percent. Wow, I would not have guessed that those two would be correlated at all. And, you know, and, and I don't know the science of that. I mean, I think it's a great stat that he puts it there because it, it shows. We always ticked off whenever you have a long commute, and so when you get home to your spouse, you're in a bad mood because you just had a crappy commute. Well, I did it for. I'm trying to think, four, six, I mean, that's probably eight years that I commuted. And here's the thing. I love to drive because I can listen to an audiobook, I can listen to podcasts. There's nothing wrong with driving and doing things. When you're talking about a commute, I get visuals of bumper-to-bumper traffic. That's different when you're having to stop, go, stop, go. I mean, it's it's completely different, and that's what I think causes the stress, and I think just the time being away from your family is really what Jonathan's talking about. He goes on to number two, best investment attribute, humility. And I thought this one was good. Now, I want to tweak it a little bit at the end, and I'll, I'll give our little take on it, but I still think it's good because it, it, it talks about 
I, I attribute this to avoiding the noise of Wall Street, too. But this is what it says. Wall Street wants you to believe you can beat the market because market-beating efforts are a big moneymaker for financial firms. But it hasn't worked out so well for investors. Yes, Warren Buffett has beaten the market over a lifetime of, of investing, but there aren't many others. The math of investing is brutal. Before costs, we collectively earn the market's return. After costs, investors as a group must inevitably lag behind. I don't know that I completely buy into that, but we'll keep going, sure. and then I want to give my thoughts. Trading stocks may offer an adrenaline rush, and buying actively managed funds can allow us to dream of riches, just like lottery tickets. But managing money should be making money, not entertainment. If you want to, uh, to not ta- notch decent returns, put your ego aside and put your money into broadly diversified index funds with rock-bottom annual expenses. Now, here's the great thing about the modern world that we live in. I can remember I used to give a stat, and this was probably mid-90s to early 2000s. I would say if you were in a diversified portfolio of mutual funds, your internal operating expense was probably around 1.5%. Because of this great world we're in now where we now have ETFs, and there's been a lot of pressure on internal expenses to get cheaper and cheaper, you can design a portfolio, a diversified portfolio, that has an internal operating expense of right around a half a percent. Now, what, is it, what would you say, uh, Gabe, I'm looking at you, and I know, Bo, you probably know the answer, too. When you're talking about straight-up index funds, you can probably get that number down to, I know Spartan does it, 0.07 point, point one three is the average in this is, country. Yeah, so, I mean, you can get it down there, but and we do that on the what we consider efficient markets. When you're talking about large cap and, and areas where you can actually – it's hard to get an edge above everybody else because of how efficient, you know, communication, data, you know, gets out there to the rest of the world. We buy those indexes all the time. But there is research, and there was even an article in the same Wall Street Journal um, when I was finding this this weekend, talking about how there are asset classes, and it talked about small cap stocks. Um, and I was very excited. I don't want, I don't like giving brand names sure. because we, we, but I know one of the brands, or I should say, fund families that we use on the small cap side was prominently featured in this article. And I was like, that is proving our case that there are choices that need to be made for active management in very inefficient markets. Mm -hmm. And I always try to simplify it and say, think about it. Small companies, international companies, where you're, you know, when you talk about small companies, who knows to even look at these companies unless they're in your neck of the woods or area, unless you have some type of exposure to this through a manager or something, probably not going to get the valuation that they're entitled to or should get. Same thing international. When you talk about international, it's not just one country. You've got all these different countries. You've got all these different companies within each country. How do you get and how do you make that efficient? It's very hard. So I think there can be an argument made that you ought to do active management there. And then, of course, the big one that we've actually had to pivot on because of government behavior, we used to tell people to go buy a Vanguard bond fund. Mm-hmm. Go buy the Vanguard bond market index and you'll be in great shape. But now if you buy a bond index, it likely will be highly – well, it is highly distorted with government bonds because of quantitative easing and all the other stuff. It is highly – you know, really change that entire marketplace. So I com- I agree with John- Jonathan in the fact that you want to make sure you be you're as aggressive with cutting your fees down as low as possible, but don't cut off your knee your your nose to spite your face. Mm-hmm. 
just to save fees, because there are some efficiencies sometimes through having a, a mixture. And I think that, that Wall Street Journal article, I can't remember which day it came out. I think the name of it, if you want to go look it up, is how to pick a stock picker, essentially how to pick funds. It talked about the average internal expense ratio of U.S. stock funds now is about 0.89. Average index fund, like we said, was 0.13. Even, I think, even what you were talking about, designing a well-diversified portfolio that has a number of different asset classes, not just, you know, stocks and bonds, you know, even more than that, getting it around a half a percent really is kind of an incredible thing that we're able to do these days. Yeah, and it's changing. Every decade it's getting cheaper. That's a good thing. That just shows you how technology, innovation is, is, is you're getting the benefit that, of that as an investor. So moving on to the next thing that Jonathan had on here was, Key to financial success is cheap housing. He goes, a third of the money spent by the typical household go, goes towards housing. Add a car payment, the other transportation costs, and you're more than half. My advice, try to keep those two costs well below 50% of your income, especially in your early adult years. Um, it says the less you spend each month on housing, cars, utilities, and other fixed costs, the less financial stress you'll suffer. You'll always have more money for discretionary he put in quote, uh, I, I did the air quotes out loud, like, I mean, uh, so you could see it. Fund spending, be in better shape if you lose your job and need less income to sustain your standard of living once retired. Most important, low fixed costs make it easier to save hefty sums every month. And that, more than anything, will drive you to financial success. I've met thousands of ordinary Americans who've amassed seven-figure portfolios. The vast majority share one attribute. They're great savers. And that is also a nod to the millionaire next door. If you think about that, it's exactly right. If you're going to be a proficient saver and, and so you can build that net worth where you're not just a high income person, but you're a high net worth person by building true wealth, you know, you do need to manage. And that's why we try to give out some, some guidance on, you know, I don't like housing to be more than 25%. Um, you know, we don't like debt in total to, to really get much over 35. I know Jonathan mm-hmm. said 50. But I think that I like my people to, to get out of debt as fast as possible on some of those those purchases that are just life purchases like cars and other things. Now, we had a phone call earlier this week with somebody who had the point nine who was perfectly healthy with their financial decision-making. And look, nobody's going to get mad at you on, on those type of things. There's nothing wrong with taking advantage of what's going on out there in the marketplace. But keep your debt under control. I think that's, you know, moderation is a good thing when it comes to debt. And I do think one thing with cheap housing, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, the reason a lot of people spend more on housing is so that they can keep the commute time down. If you do, I, I do think you should certainly stay inside the realm of don't spend more than 25% of your gross income on housing costs. But it's it doesn't mean you have to buy the absolute cheapest house possible if it means you're going to be driving an hour to work every day or living in an area that doesn't have the best school systems or lifestyle stuff, it's okay to spend money on those types of things when it's a use asset, not just buying a big house to have a big, impressive big house. Yeah, I mean, you, you nailed it. The thing that I think about is that I have recognized that the school, the, the communities that have great public school systems, there's a premium on those houses. And you, there is a math calculation that goes in, okay, do I have to spend $15,000 for each of my children? So if you have three children, you'll be spending forty-five grand a year to send your kids to these schools. There might be an argument that it's, it's okay to pay a, a premium if you can send your kids to the public school system in that area. I mean, there, there is some, it's not just a math calculation. We try to give these guidance figures for you to make a decision, but we understand that you have to take 
every situation and know that it needs to be customized to what's going on in your neck of the woods. Um, I thought this was a good one. You'll know in the last few months I've actually had a, a personal loss, and, the, and this one really hit home when I re- read this. It said, best way to spend money, experiences. I believe money can, be, can buy happiness, but you have to spend with care. My advice is, this is from Jonathan Clements, he says, use your spare cash for experiences, not possessions. Pay for the family vacation. Go to a concert. Head out to dinner with friends. This will strike many as counterintuitive. Possessions seem appealing because they have lasting value while experiences leave us with nothing tangible. But this is also the reason experiences can bring more happiness. We have not only the event itself, but also the anticipation before and the fond memories after. And those memories aren't soiled by the messy reality of some object that gets dirty, breaks down, and is eventually discarded. I mean, guys, how many times have I shared with you, I lost my father early. It was only the memories of him at all the basketball games, the play practices, the tennis matches. That gets you through it. And it's the same thing with my my father-in-law passing. You know, you think about going to the beach with the family. You think about going on roller coaster rides. You think about touring Europe, you know, when 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 you, you weren't thinking about that this day would ever come, that you'd lose this person, but you're just so thankful that you created those memories. And that's why... I can tell you, I only got to go when I was a kid to Disney World. I can only recall, my mother will tell me I went twice, but obviously the first time I was a baby baby because I have no recollection of it. But I got to go the second time when I was in junior high. And it's fun when I take my children now to, to Disney World. I can still get those those goosebump-causing moments where I can remember walking with my dad down the same street that I'm now with my two daughters. And that's the type of stuff that, I mean, I just got goosebumps thinking about it then. I mean, that's the type of stuff that makes life complete is getting to do stuff. Go see a great musician, play a concert. I mean, I just can't speak for it. If you can, if you can be social with your friends, create those memories, there's nothing wrong with consuming to create memories. And, um, cause I, and I don't want to get too philosophical, but I do think we leave this planet not with the money in our bank. Not with the car in our garage or even the house that we live in. We get to leave with the memories that we create. I mean, I have no doubt in my mind what we do on this planet, we get to take with us. So create those experiences. Um, I had a last one. Oh, I got you quiet on that one. Is that because Jenna's pregnant and you're, you're thinking about the memories well, I, you're going to be creating? I'm not even lying. I just got so mushy-gushy and sentimental <laughs> thinking about going to Disney World and stuff. You're too, you're too uh, manly that you're yeah. like, I better pull up on choking, this thing. Choking those tears back. Okay. So the last one that Jonathan had on here was top financial goal, not working for money. He said, unless you have enough saved for retirement, you need an income. But if possible, never work just for a paycheck. I believe the keys to a fulfilling life are spending our days doing what we're passionate about and our evenings with friends and family. Problem is, the career that makes us happy in our 20s may not be satisfying in our 40s, and the new career we want to pursue may not be as lucrative. What do you do? Avoid the acquisition treadmill of bigger homes and better cars. and Instead, save like crazy in your 20s and 30s. Do that, and you could buy yourself the freedom to spend the rest of your life on your terms rather than one dictated by car leases, credit card bills, and mortgage payments. Many readers of this column have been my regular correspondents, and I believe they'll continue. From now on, I will be writing for Saturday's Wall Street Journal while also updating my book, boom, there it is, The Jonathan Clements Money Guide, every year. I mean, Jonathan gets it. I mean, I will tell you that um, 
Don't you feel so blessed, Brian, that you and I get to, obviously we get to the podcast for fun, but sort of in our day jobs, we just love it. We love coming to work every day. We love getting to help our clients out. We love talking about this stuff. Even in social settings, we're hanging out with buddies. These types of things come up. It doesn't feel like work to us. And how awesome is it that we're in a profession where that's the case? Yeah, I tell, you know, I have a daughter who's quickly hitting the teenage years and constantly trying to bestow that wisdom that you wish somebody were doing. And she doesn't pay any attention to me, but it is one of those things where I'm always trying to figure out what that talent is or what that aptitude is where she just loves and loves and consumes. And, and I'll be honest, I had no idea this is where I was supposed to end up. I mean, um, when I was in high school, if you'd asked me my senior year, what was I going to do in college? I was going to college to become a civil engineer. I thought it was so cool that these guys get to design interstates, bridges. I mean, what kid doesn't grow up and play with Tonka trucks, Tonka trucks and go, I could build stuff. Now, what's funny is if you know me now, my wife, like, and I don't want to give it away, Bo, you're building some furniture at your new house. Good for you. You know, one of our podcast listeners and friends, Klein also from the podcast, has inspired you to build furniture. I also felt inspired to build some furniture. And I told my wife, she says, we're buying our furniture. <laughs> so I don't know if that's because of safety or if she's worried. I'm not, I'm, I'm, it might be her safety she's worried about from actually using this, this furniture, or it might be my safety using power tools. But I have no, I look back, I have no business building roads and bridges. <laughs> um, so life, you know, God has a good sense of humor that he guides us through decisions that kind of come before us. And I'll tell you, I had a scholarship fall through that I was going to go out of state, had a scholarship fall through to the out-of-state tuition because of the war and um, the first war in Iraq, because that's when I was graduating high school, and it changed the way ROTC scholarships were funded that year. So I ended up going in-state tuition. You know, even though my dad was a University of Florida graduate, he became a real big bulldog really quick when he heard about the University of Georgia was obviously in-state tuition. This is all before the Hope Scholarship and all the other good stuff. And I got caught up in the business school. I mean, and I think it's some of the best decisions. And I even look back... I chose accounting because I wanted a job and not live in my parents' basement, and I didn't really enjoy accounting in college, but it led me on a path to find that financial planning, personal finance, guys, this is fulfilling. If you've got a child that has this rare mix of being very analytical but also loves being around people and has what I consider a higher social IQ, don't let them walk away from finance. Now, it is, I will tell you, being on the fee-only side, we're unicorns. I mean, we're 1% of the entire industry So, because I, I, we get a lot of emails from listeners who say, I want to do that. I want to transition from being a doctor or an engineer. I could do that, and I have no doubt you could. Just know that the journey is not super easy because it's, it's 1%. But you nailed it, Bo, in the fact that doing what you love and you really never work a day in your life. I know that's some famous saying that somebody said, and I can't attribute it to who it is, but there's a lot to it. I actually look forward to Monday mornings. I mm-hmm. um, love my family. I love spending time with my family. But this is my work family. And you guys know we, we like hanging out. We goof off, goof off around here and get stuff done. But we have a good laugh. And, and I think you got to have a career. And I think that's what he's talking about when Jonathan says, when you're young, what you do at your 20 it might not be the same as 40. When you're in your early 20s, you might have a job. But you're hoping by the time you're 40, you have a career. And I think that they, especially I see so many of my friends, and, and I'm not trying to uh, make a, a thing that differentiates men versus women, but my, my men friends that have had those what are perceived as midlife crises, 
a lot of times if you look, there's one or two things going on. They either have not had success in finding that career, or I'll tell you, there is it's either not enough or it's too much of it, or they've had too much success and they feel entitled to some of the things. I think there's a nice donut hole of opportunity of finding that perfect career that you're content with most things in life, your family, your career, and then, you know, life just gets easier. You're happy. And that's what gives you that, ha- you know, half full glass of water versus half empty optimism that we all look for. So I don't know how we got all, you know, this guy, this is a little, a little mushy gushy. mushy gushy. And I don't know how it'll be perceived by our listeners, but I hope you can tell we really do love what we do for a living. Um, I didn't say it in the last podcast. I'll say it in this one. If you guys listen to the podcast, we've been doing this for 10 years now. And you want to take the relationship to the next level because I'm shocked when I find people who've been listening to the show from the beginning. It's really funny to me when you write us an email and then we go right to your reply. And I'm one of those people, I, I cheat and hit the search function because my email has thousands and thousands of emails. So I never can find an email if I go to look at it three days later. So I have to go type your name in. And I'm amazed when I see I'm writing a response and then I see, hey, this person wrote me back in 2008. This person wrote me in 2010. And it's... It's just really gratifying to see that. So I tell you, if you want to take it the next step, we do have podcast clients in 26 states now. It might even be more than that, but I know we're in over half the United States now. Reach out to us. You know, we'd love to hear from you, hear that you're interested. And if, if you just have comments on the show, we'd love to hear from you too. You can write us. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N at money-guy.com. You can reach out to my co-host, Mr. Bo Hansen. That's B-O at money-guy.com. And um, just thank you for all that's been going on, guys. We feel very blessed to have you and have this show doing what it's doing. And we'll be back in two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.